few days ago, Dave and I put out in, I guess you call it an advertisement, a commercial. We, we let everybody know that we are starting here at the Unexpected Cosmology, some Marco Polo fellowship groups. You know, you can go watch that video for yourself. It was pretty funny how it turned out because I'm, I'm actually sitting in a Marco Polo to Dave and asking him to get on the Marco Polo Fellowship groups, and he's actually recording a video for it, and he picked up the phone, and I was it was like really awesome how we did not plan it like that. That was really awesome. But anyways, uh, this will be, this, I'm really excited for this, and people have been signing up. We're going to have guy groups and girl groups. The groups will be about 10 people per group. Maybe starting out, we'll have five, so five per group so they can grow. But we're going to have a, each group will have a leader, and it will be a way for everybody to uh, fellowship together, be intimate with each other, because they'll just be boys and girls in separate groups. And uh, so everybody is welcome. Uh, Dave just dropped in here the Marco Polo Fellowship sign up. And, anyways, yeah, I'm excited about that. And that's just a, a way as a community we can continue to grow and get to know each other better and uh, feel more connected. Most of you will immediately know what I just dropped into the room. It's none other than the Illuminati card game, the infinite, infamous card game from the 1990s. If I could go back in time, I would buy this game and I would play it and I would get to know the rules so that I and try to figure out how that works in the real world. I put this in here just to remind all of you that the world is still a stage and everything is a scripted reality a false reality. And I think we get so excited sometimes when we see, uh, you know, incidents happen. We were, we're like, oh yeah, everything's a script and all, but not this, not this time. And as you can see here, it's, it's clearly a trucker strike. The one trucker there, he's holding up a sign that says long haul. Well, wouldn't you know, if you look at the news, they're putting that keyword in there, the long haul strike, the truckers on long haul. It's really interesting. This was, uh, it looks like somebody jumped ahead of the game, and I had to throw this in here. It was sold on, on eBay January 30th, 2022 for $11.99 for that card. Okay, so last week I talked about the, the seven firmaments of heaven. I hope you guys all enjoyed that. And every so often, homeschooling parents will send me things that their children did. Well, I don't know if they were drawing this while they were uh, listening, but a lot of homeschooling children do listen to these podcasts. And I was sent this to this group. I thought it was amazing because this individual's two daughters decided to draw some pictures of the presentation. And uh, if you recall, uh, I, we talked about the the urban urbano monte map and all the mythological creatures on there and then i talked about wild men and there i mentioned that there are brown wild men and green wild men and this girl decided to draw a green wild man and uh i like the merman it's not a mermaid it's a merman and uh the merman is uh looking uh is really going with the pink and just running with it um but you can see there the the like the the layers of heaven and so it's kind of interesting. It looks like the uh, the deer man in the uh, first layer there. Like, I think that's according to Baruch. I think it is, and he saw the the prisons, and so that would be the people from Babel. And then here we have a, another picture right here that was drawn from my presentation. It's not quite the seven layers. Of course, 
we only got up three layers. And if you notice here, we see the 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 sun and the moon on the each of the different layers, but not going all the way up. And I think those are like angels ascending up. And I don't know. I'm liking. I'm liking the detail. Good stuff. Here's another picture that that came onto our Discord group this week. And I encourage everybody listening out on YouTube land or podcast to come to our Discord group and you know feed us your information on the Millennial Kingdom, the mud flood. I love this map. I absolutely love it. I was showing it to Sarah, my wife, and she was like, oh, we got to hang this on the wall because we are lovers of France. And this is a map of France. And it, it's... <laughs> I had to look this up because I thought he was being uh, kind of crude. I uh, calling him the... the Arch uh, Bishop Pricks, and I thought he was calling them Pricks. I had to look this up. It's like, no, that's their name, Arch uh, Bishop Pricks. And so this is a map of the Arch Bishop Prick, um, all the different cathedrals across France. And what's amazing is, is that we visited a lot of these, especially up in the north, up in the Normandy area. You can see uh, Paris there. You can see um, this is kind of interesting because it looks like um, I don't know. I'll let you guys kind of decide, but. Knowing what we do is we're looking into the the last reset and before and the what I would say the probability that the Millennial Kingdom happens, that makes this map all the more interesting. Let's see what else we got. Oh, this is really cool too. I'm going to show you guys this. I'll write in here, Revelation 18, 9 through 13. See what this says here. And the sovereigns of the earth who committed whoring and lived righteously with her shall weep and mourn over. Now, this is in context to Babylon. And the question is, is who is Babylon? When they, when they see the smoke of her burning, standing at a distance for fear of her torture, saying, whoa, whoa, the great city Babel, the mighty city, because your judgment has come in one hour. And the merchants of the earth weep and mourn over her because no one buys their merchandise anymore. Now, this is what I want you to pay attention to right here. I read, I read these first view just so you get the context of Babylon going up in smoke and the, the merchants weeping. But here's what I want you to focus on. Merchandise of gold and silver and precious stone and pearls and fine linen and purple and silk and scarlet and all citron wood, and every object of ivory, and every object of most precious wood, and bronze, and iron, and marble, and cinnamon, and incense, and fragrant oil, and, in and frankincense, and wine, and oil, and flour, and wheat, and cattle, and sheep, and horses, and carriages, and bodies, and lives of men. So the two things I really want you to hone in on is purple, as well as ivory. And we're trying to, we're trying to figure out, well, who is Babylon? Well, most people will say that this event has not happened yet. And so they'll say, well, Babylon is like the United States of America or, you know, pick your, your sovereign nation. But the problem is, is that <clears throat> purple is clearly a symbol of Rome. I'll cover that first. Uh, as you can see here, purple was the color of the Roman centurion guards or just the Roman guards in general. And also those specifically who were protectors of the emperor. Uh, here we see a picture of, who is that number two right there? Oh, it's emperor such and such. I'm not sure who that is, but it is an emperor. He's wearing all purple. And it's, as Sarah just said here, it, it signifies royalty. It doesn't signify American royalty, uh, but it signifies Roman royalty. So when we're talking about purple here, we're talking about specifically yeah, and, I'll, and I'll, I'll cover that, Ronan. I'll cover that. And I'll just, I'll go ahead and mention it here. But we did notice, now I didn't notice, I didn't know that it didn't say purple 
in the Hebrew, but in Hebrew Revelation, it does not mention ivory or purple. So, you know, take that for what it is. However, in the Greek uh, Revelation, it, it's clearly describing, in my opinion, Rome. It's not describing America. It's not describing anywhere else. Here we see, looks like the, the Roman Senate and, or I don't know, um, dudes in togas, but they look important. And of course, they're in purple, signifying the, who they are. This is a really cool picture here. Uh, looks like a pretty badass dude right there. I wouldn't want to get in a fight with this guy wearing purple. Apparently one of uh, the emperor's guards. And this here is the... Oh, the picture doesn't want to pop up. Well, if you can see that, that is the Praetorian. That is the, uh, the symbol of Caesar's actual guards. Um, here we see pictures of, of Caesar wearing purple robe. You guys are getting the idea. I'll put, oh, this is a great one here because this is uh, our, everyone's favorite, Nero, and he's playing the liar or the fiddle or whatever it is. I guess it's the liar while Rome burns. And he's wearing purple. And just to, just to give the, the modern Revelation people a, a fair trial, We'll throw everyone's favorite queen in there. <laughs> because I guess purple is a sign of royalty for her as well. All right. The other passage in there, and this is, of course, in the Greek text, is ivory. Now, everyone think about this. Ivory has been outlawed in America for nearly 100 years. I think it was, well, at least it goes back to about 1940-ish. I don't know when the law was put into effect. You can no longer trade with anything that is after that that date if it's beforehand like in the 1800s you can trade with ivory but ivory you can no longer import it's outlawed most places in the world clearly the united states does not um resemble a empire of trading in ivory now just to show you how common it was in the roman empire here we see a ring and the ring has ivory on it now, a lot of the stuff I'm going to show you, the reason that they were able to find it, because Rome was destroyed, the reason they were able to find these is because they dug it out of graves, uh, telling us that it was so common that people would, it, it was considered very fine as well, a very nice gift, but they would put it in graves for people, I guess, in the afterlife or whatever the idea was. Here we see a statue of Aphrodites. I, I believe that's Aphrodites. And, oh, some of these aren't working because they're not the right. Um, wow. Okay. Well, <laughs> I'll just put that into the video anyways. But what you're looking at, YouTube, is a statue, an ivory, a very impressive ivory statue of Aphrodites. Another common way we see ivory in the Roman Empire is they actually put it on furniture. And here you can actually see it. This is like the, uh, it would be like the arm piece. Uh, yeah, Dave just dropped in there the uh, statue of Aphrodite. made out of all ivory. You can actually see that that's like an, straight out of the elephant tusk. I know it's tragically sad, isn't it? I mean, they, they lopped off a, killed an elephant for that. And uh, lopped off its tusk to make a statue of Aphrodite. Uh, I'm not praising this stuff. I'm just showing you guys that we see a lot of ivory in Rome. And this is just more testimony to the fact that what Revelation is talking about, and this, again, I, I acknowledge this is the Greek text we're looking at, not the Hebrew. 
But it's just more testimony to the fact that what was said was going to happen, happened. Here's another very odd picture. I, I don't know if this is Bacchus or what this is, but it's uh, another little statue of a probably a god. This one is actually very impressive. It is a box that you would probably put jewelry, maybe someone's ashes, I don't know. But you would put very precious items in it. You can see it actually has a key lock. So that tells me that they would put precious items in there. But that that's ivory, guys. Like that's that's a lot of tusk right there. Here is to be even more impressive, here is an emperor's throne. This might have been in uh, Byzantine noble. I'm not sure which emperor made this offhand, but this is an actual throne made out of ivory. Again, it's the Roman Empire. Here's another... Oh, man, I got a lot of these aren't showing up. That's okay, guys. I'll just pop it into the video. But here we see a doll. This was, I believe this was also put into a grave, probably of a little girl. Um, but it is a doll made out of ivory. And this here is a comb. And the comb was also dropped into a grave. Let's see what this is. Roman comb made of ivory, probably from the 3rd to 4th century CE. This two-sided object probably comes from the woman's grave. There is an inscription on the comb saying, Modestino, goodbye. However, there is no certainty about the last word that can be mis it can be misread. It is possible that the last four letters are initials, which recall the deceased as a wonderful woman. What is this of? Flavius, Anastasius, Paulus, Probus, Sabine, that's a long name, Pomp Pompeius, <laughs> uh, Consul, 517 CE, uh, in consular garb, holding a scepter and the uh, mappa, a piece of cloth used to uh, signal the start of chariot races at the Hippodrome. It's an ivory panel from his consular uh, diptych. That that was really wordy. Wow. But okay, whatever. He's signaling the start of the races in the Hippodrome. And they carved him into ivory. You could see the, looks like he's got the eagle there as well for, um, he's, probably, he's probably dressed in purple too, guys. Oh, and this is the last picture I wanted to show. This shows, uh, now these are unfinished dice. You can see there, it's, it's, um, it's like triple dice. They hadn't cut it. But you could see how they were, they were kind of, they were making it. And I, I would assume that they would, would seal it too. I mean, if it's dice on the ends, it wouldn't be just a hole in there. I don't really know how they did it, but that shows you how common ivory was. They were making into dice, and this was probably very popular amongst Roman soldiers as well. And when you think about how they, they cast lots uh, for Yahusha for his clothing, and they, they might have had ivory. I don't know. Oh, I just realized the dice didn't go up. Oh, no dice. There it is. <laughs> Sorry, guys. I'm a little off my game tonight. Here, I need more coffee. Give me a second. Anyways, you can let me go over the dice again. You could see there they had it. They hadn't finished it. They actually something happened. The manufacturer never finished it. They never cut it up um, into the different individual dice. There. Now, this here is just a screenshot taken of my website. But you can see here this is Diane Cover. And each week, I want to try to highlight a different guest writer here at the Unexpected Cosmology. Diane Cover is actually the reason why Zen Garcia has yet to write a book on the uh, lunar solar Sabbath. Now, I want to remind everybody here that I am not lunar solar Sabbath. I am seventh-day Sabbath. But I also uh, love hosting 
these discussions on cosmology. It is a website for anyone who upholds Revelation 14.12, which is keeping the Father's commands, as well as the testimony of Yahusha. I am open to all sorts of different topics biblically. And I've often said that I really enjoy somebody having a different opinion than me or have someone who is well-researched in the opposite opinion because I have changed my views multiple times. And if I ever decide that the Seventh-day Sabbath is not the correct Sabbath, I will then have tons of research to fall back on. Diane Cover is one of those. Um, I recommend everybody give her articles a read. I mean, she is an established author. She's a very good writer, very well-written articles. And like I said, I'm happy to host Lunar Sabbath debate. And I'm approached a lot by different people of different variations of the calendar. And they will come up to me and they will tell me that they want me to promote their view of the calendar. They've got it right. Everybody else has it wrong. And I will tell them, why don't you write an article on it and I will host it? And they don't like that answer. They want me to uh, take their conviction and run with it and do the research for them. But I invite everybody, if you have a conviction to the calendar and you believe that your calendar is the right biblical calendar to keep, and you can give a good argument for it, I will host it here at the Unexpected Cosmology. I can you know, put up a whole section of the calendar debate and put everyone's different opinions up, and I am happy to host that. All right, now, tonight, we are going to, as promised, we are going to read from a lost book. I will not call it a lost book of the Bible, nor will I call it scripture. It is a, an ancient lost book. If it is a hoax, it is a very well-written hoax. Now, I will put a dis, uh, disclaimer out there. I should do this more often. Uh, I expect my readership and my audience to be mature. That's not always the case. Sometimes people are not mature, and sometimes people hear things that they cannot handle. I'm not really talking about that so much. As I had started out showing that some homeschoolers were listening to last week, and they did some beautiful pictures. They did a great job of the presentation. They were listening very well. I'm putting this disclaimer out there for parents that tonight, while I will be reading scripturally-based books, they might be confusing for children, and that's up to your discretion. The book I will be reading from is called... what. <laughs> What is it called? The Book of Lemek of Cain and Leviathan. It is reported to have been written by a one of the children of Cain and maybe taken on the ark. I don't know. This is why I'm saying that this is not scripture. When people will criticize me for a lot of the books I will promote as scripture, but one of the qualifications for scripture is that the person writing it has to be identified or identify himself as being set apart. To be set apart, it means you're keeping your father's commands. You are pursuing the father's commands. You're just, you want to be set apart from the world, and you want to be righteous, right? You want to be holy. You want to speak about, uh, you know, contrast the wickedness of the world to the goodness of the father. That is a huge requirement for me to qualify something as scripture. This cannot be qualified as scripture because the person writing this book is not set apart. They are not pretending to keep his laws, okay? So we can then deduce from this that there might be some really fascinating things presented. There might be truth in there, but there will also be 
lack of truth. There will be distorted and twisted thinking and maybe even lies. Now, I'm going to tell you straight out that the reason, okay, I am going to read this book to you tonight. And I'm going to share this book with you tonight because I think it's worth your time. I think it is worth uh, for the world of research, right? For all my, uh, for all my gentlemen scholars out there. But if, if we were to sit down and have a Hollywood movie night, we could all watch it and go, okay, that was interesting. Well, that's a lie. That's a lie. Well, that's a truth. They were definitely like laying out their truth in plain sight there. Oh, but that, that ending was a lie, right? You see how that works. But people get really confused when it comes to scripture. They get, they, 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 see, I just call it scripture. That was like a Freudian slip. When they read ancient books, they get confused by this stuff. So I'm just hoping everyone's mature. And I don't want to scare you guys. It's not that scary. It's actually a pretty fascinating read. So because this is not found in uh, print, to my understanding, I wish I had this in a paperback. I wish I had this in a PDF. I had to take screenshots for this. Now, the, the copyright on this said that it is for scholarly use and research use. So we are all here for research tonight. And this is not a profit-making event. And you guys know this. So I should be within my copyright um, limitations to, to share this. So let's get through this. This is going to be 39 different slides that I will be presenting tonight. And Josh, just, you know, f uh, if you can just, um, you know, maximize them for the read. So you guys will want to read along with each slide. And here we go. This is, this is actually going to be a treat, guys. I, I, it really is. The Book of Lemic of Cain, Chapter 1, The Desolation After Creation. This is the book of Limech, who lived in the city of Enoch, who was the son of Methushael, uh, son of Muhujael, son of Arad, son of Enoch, son of Cain, son of Adam. You know what? I'm going to back up before doing this because I just realized that I need, to, I need to read really quickly from the writings of Abraham. So just all hang with me here. And this will be worth your time, too. Now, I went through a phase last summer where I was just quoting the writings of Abraham left and right. And it was really frustrating a lot of people. A lot of people, they, they're very weary of this book. I think it's amazing. I think the writings of Abraham is amazing. It is backed up. It, it has second witness with like the Dead Sea Scrolls, things that like nobody else witnesses to it. It is a phenomenal book. And what you're going to see tonight with the book of Lemecha Cain, it actually backs up the writings of Abraham. So I'm going to read um, with, with one big lie, and you guys will spot the lie at the end, the big lie. I'm going to read to you, uh, this should just take a few minutes, Writings of Abraham, chapter 11 through chapter 16, because this will play into what we're going to read tonight. Now, and when Noah was 450 years old, he begat a son, and he called his name Japheth. 42 years later, he begat another son of her who was the mother of Japheth, and he called his name Shem. Okay, so well, now I've gone over this in a past paper about the many wives of Noah. So here he has two sons through an unidentified woman. And then eight years later, Noah begat a son of his wife, Naama, who was of the seed of Cain. And he called his name Ham, for he said, through him will the curse be preserved in the land. So now he has another wife who is identified as Naama, and she gives birth to Cain. Naama does not give birth to Japheth or Shem. It's important to note. Chapter 12. Now Noah had taken a wife of the seed of Cain, and she was a righteous woman. So put that into your thinking tonight. Naama 
when Noah married her, was a righteous woman. She was set apart. The curse remained with her seed according to the word of Elohim, or I should say, nevertheless. And Noah took her on the wise, for the word of Yahuwah came unto Noah, saying, Take unto thyself Naima, the daughter of Lemek, who dwelleth. So this is the book we're going to read, the book of Lemek. So Naima is the daughter of Lemek, who dwelleth here in the city of thy fathers, for she hath been faithful to my gospel. Wherefore, I shall preserve through her the seed of Cain through the flood. This Lemek, who was the father of Naamah, was of the seed of Cain, being the son of Methusael, the son of Mahujael, the son of Erad, the son of Enoch, the son of Cain. This is not the same Enoch that's in Seth's line. This is Enoch, the son of Cain. And it's really interesting how both lines, they have, they have like the good Cain, the evil Cain. You know, it's really interesting. Uh, the city of Enoch, the evil city of Enoch. Lemek had married Ada and Zella, the daughters of Canaan, the sons of Enos, the son of Seth, the son of Adam. Ada bare children unto Lemek, but Zella was barren unto her old age when Yahuwah opened her womb, and she conceived and bare a son and daughter. Her son she named Tubal-Cain, saying, After I had withered away, have I obtained him from the almighty Elohim. Her daughter she named Naima, saying, After I had withered away, have I obtained pleasure and delight. Chapter 13. While Naima was yet a child, great consternation fell upon the seed of Cain, for Erab, the son of Enoch, the son of Cain, had become a member of the secret combination and was privy to all its secrets until one night when Yahuwah appeared to him in a dream, saying, Erad, thou hast done evil instead of good and hast followed after Hasatan rather than Elohim. Wherefore, I shall destroy thee in thine house when I send in the floods upon the earth. Something you're going to want to note here as we read the book of Lemek, that they all knew the flood was coming. They all knew it. They refused to repent, of course. But Arad was pricked in his heart and pled with Yahuwah to show mercy and preserve his seed through the great flood. Seeing that his penitence was true, Yahuwah said to him, Arad, if thou wilt repent and reveal the evils of the secret combination unto the sons of Seth, I will have mercy upon thee and I will join thy seed unto the seed of Seth, that it may be preserved through the great flood. Wherefore, Erad went forth and began to reveal the secrets of the sons of Cain and to the sons of Seth. So if you picked up on this, this guy is a master Mahon. He's like, we would call it like a 33-degree Mason, but he's even way above that. Like, this guy is the top of the order, and he is doing a naughty no-no, and he's actually going to the, the sons of Seth, and he's telling them about how they're ruling over them. He's telling about all their secrets, their magic, how they're ruling over them, just like it happens today. Incredible stuff. Lemek, being Master Mahon at the time, found... Okay, so Lemek is the Master Mahon at the time. I take that back. Found Irad sitting in his garden with Joram, the young son of Irad, and slew him. Thus Lemek slew Irad for the sake of the oath of the secret combination, and he slew Irad's son with him. But Tubal-Cain, the son of Lemek, had followed him and viewed his evil deed, which he had committed, and he revealed it unto his mother Zillah, and she unto her sister Ada. Wherefore, Ada and Zella confronted Lemek with, this, with his evil and cursed him in the name of Yahuwah for having slain Arad, who had repented of his wickedness from among the sons of men. And Lemek said unto his wives, Ada and Zella, Hear my voice, ye wives of Lemek, hearken unto my speech, for I have slain a man to my wo wo wounding and a young man to my hurt. 
If Cain shall be avenged sevenfold, truly Lemech shall be seventy and sevenfold. Lemech's wives, therefore, feared to confront him further. But Lemech repented not of his evil deeds, and finding his son Tubal Cain at prayer, he slew him for having revealed his murders. When Ada and Zelah, the wives of Lemech, learned of this, they took the remaining sons and daughters and went unto their father Canaan's city and revealed the remainder of the secrets of the evil combination among the sons of Adam. Thus did Naamah come to dwell among the sons of Adam, and she grew up before Yahuwah in righteousness and was known for her tender care toward the sick and the unfortunate. Never, so she has, whatever sins Naamah had committed, whatever wickedness she had been a part of, she has repented, and she is now living amongst uh, the sons of Seth and, you know, caring for the sick, the orphans, the widows, all that kind of stuff. Nevertheless, she had not husband because she was of the forbidden race. Nobody would marry her. Chapter 14. When the word of Yahuwah came into Noah, saying, Take unto thyself Naamah, the daughter of Lamech, who dwelleth here in the city of thy fathers, for she hath been faithful to my gospel. Wherefore, I shall preserve through her the seed of Cain through the flood. Noah went unto her father Methuselah. Methuselah inquired of Yahuwah and returned this word unto his son Lamech. Verily, thus saith Yahuwah, Mine handmaiden Naamah have I given unto my son Noah, that the seed of Cain might be preserved through the great flood which I will send upon the earth. Wherefore, let my son Noah fear to take her to wife, for in so doing he shall be blessed, for through him will come all nations. Wherefore, say unto him, Noah, my son, I have looked upon the evils of the sons of men, which have come up before me, for they have corrupted the whole earth, save only this city in which thou dwellest. Therefore I will send in the floods upon the earth, but thou and thy seed will I preserve through the flood. For I will send mine angels to instruct thee in the, in the building of an ark wherein ye shall be saved. Behold, I shall establish thy seed before me forever, and I will spread them abroad over the earth, as numerous as the sand upon the seashore. Thy seed shall not cease as long as the earth shall stand, but through thee and thy priesthood, which will be preserved, and thy seed shall all nations be blessed. Uh, chapter 15. I'm almost done. When Lamech returned this word to his son, Noah rejoiced and praised Yahuwah, saying, I give thanks unto thee, O Yahuwah, for thou hast been unto me a strong wall against all that would seek my destruction. Yea, thou hast promised to shelter me from the disasters which are coming upon the earth, that the flood shall not come in upon me to destroy my seed from the earth. Thou hast set my foot upon a rock, that the sons of men shall not prevail against me. Yea, I will walk in the way of the ancients. In the paths which thou hast appointed will I spend my days, for thou art my shield and my deliverer, and in thee will I trust all the days of my life. Amen. So that was Noah saying that. Thus did Noah take to wife Naamah, the daughter of Zelah, the wife of Lamech, of the seed of Cain, and she bare him a son whom he named Ham. And thus was the curse preserved in the land through the great flood. All right, that's probably good. So let's go ahead and start reading the book of, of Lamech. You're going to see a lot of parallels there to what we're going to read tonight. So we read there, um, the book is identified as being written by Lemek. Getting into it, Elohim ignores the line of Cain. So we already saw that here with uh, the rings of Abraham. Cain, the forefather of Lemek, who was marked with leprous whiteness. For Elohim had said, whomever slays Cain shall have vengeance visited upon their head sevenfold. Now, already... I, <laughs> I could see the black Israelites uh, doing somersaults, uh, cartwheels, leaping for joy, if they would interpret this to mean white skin. Now, it says here, leprous whiteness. Um, I'm going to leave this up to you guys, because 
to me, it looks like the mark of Cain is that they are unclean, that they are they have a a leprous whiteness, but it could it could mean that they're white skin and that that's the mark of the son of Cain. I don't believe that to be the case. Again, I'll let you guys decide. I'm not gonna I'm not going to uh, you know support I'm not going to argue in favor of this book, but anyways, we'll learn things tonight. As Abel's blood cried from the ground, same leprous whiteness was made a sign that was vis visited upon all of Cain's descendants as it was their inheritance for seven generations. So that's interesting. This, he was visited by this, um, this leprous skin as soon as he killed Abel. Second slide. With this marked inheritance, Cain's descendants sought to do all that was wicked on the land in the sight of Adonai. I won't say Yahuwah in this. Um, kind of makes me a little uncomfortable. I'll just say Adon or Adonai. For they had been marked by him. For the descendants of Cain had received unto themselves the damnation, which was the fair portion for Cain's sin. And Elohim refused to be angered by Cain's wickedness, for Cain was not forgiven. And the descendants of Cain practiced manners of evil, and that shall not be forgiven unto men. So Elohim ignored the line of Cain, for they were of no use to him. Now, this, of course, will really help if you're reading along because there's a lot of dots, dot, dots in here, which means that in the, the scroll, there's words that were not able to be read. Hopefully you guys can see that. The state of the earth. And evil was in man's touch. So all the land touched by Cain and his marked descendants was brought unto desolation. And hell's or perhaps Sheol's breath was upon the land like a cloud. And there was no goodness or good men to stop it. Therefore, great darkness dwelled within the earth itself, for it was the first evil season. And the rocks themselves groaned with the groanings of mortally wounded men. Well, that's interesting because the earth would cry out, started crying out when Abel was first uh, murdered. And Cain, according to Adam and Eve, Cain is trying to bury Abel in the ground, and the earth is vomiting him out, so we're not even going to take him. And all mankind needed more rest in that time, for mankind stood all their days restrained, supported between the dead and the living. The great beast of the field rooted into the land in the heat of wrath and, third slide, passion pushed out their hatred and fury as fire upon the earth. Upon this violence, both men and beasts were wounded as unto death and healed often, for wounds in that time healed quickly. Well, that's really interesting that wounds in this time healed quickly because mankind lived to be, you know, nearly a thousand years old. So you would imagine that cancer wouldn't take someone over as quickly, right? Their, their bodies would heal themselves. And I, I can't imagine that the, the sons of, of Cain had a, well, I'm sure they had a better diet than what we have today, but I can't, I have no assurances that they ate healthy. The days of the earth were shadow with no hope, cruelly attacked and made low, mortally wounded, and her pain was unending. Sorrow was the earth's, and the streams of water that sprung from her ground offered false hope and were bitter. All of mankind was shamed by the state of the earth. All were of her sorrow and of her withering. 
Yet, earth was treated as a stranger that mankind did not welcome as a guest. That sounds a lot like today, doesn't it? The earth, she, being feminine, was naked and mankind would not clothe her. She was sick and in prison and mankind did not care. And Elohim spoke to the earth, Do not weep for mankind yet, bemoan him not. For the time will come that you will weep forty days and forty nights, and his stain has been cleansed, and you will be restored. Slide number four. Chapter two, Lemex Youth. And the roads and paths were such that no fowl knew nor had vultures seen them. And upon these paths one could meet man, giant, or a son of Elohim. For this was the time when the sons of Elohim came and mingled with the marked descendants of Cain and the line of Seth. So, um, now... This, of course, it straight out takes the, um, the sons of Elohim here are, are the angels, the watchers, straight out. No questions asked here. And there was no righteousness in the marked bloodline of Cain until the time of Lamech, and there was none after. It then says, young Lamech questions creation. As a child in the center of the city called Enoch, now, who built the city of Enoch? Cain did for his son Enoch. Keep in mind, this is a different Enoch than the one that ascended to heaven. Lemek questioned his father, Methushael, on the history of the earth. For young Lemek was distraught that there was no forgiveness for the marked bloodline of Cain. Lemek asked, did Elohim not say, let there be light, and there was light? Did Elohim call the light day and the darkness night? Did Elohim create a firmament in the midst of the waters and divide the waters from the waters? Was there a firmament above? Was that firmament named by God to be, or by Elohim, to be heaven? Slide number five. Muthushael then answered, Nothing hovered above the face of the waters, and now sin lies at the door. Its desire is for you, but you should rule over it. Okay, so remember now that Cain in the Aramaic Targum, he tells Abel, as right before he murders him, he says that there is no heaven above. There is no kingdom, right? There is no Elohim. It's all fake. He, did, he didn't believe any of it. So Methushael is saying the same thing here. He's like, he's like, yeah, you've heard that story about the Ruach HaKadosh that hovered over the face of the waters. But he said, no, nothing hovered over the face of the waters. That's all a myth. Lemek then asked, and who did my ancestor Cain take from Nod as a wife that she conceived and bore Enoch? What is the name of this woman who Cain met? Now, that's fascinating because we asked the same question. And so, <laughs> and so Lemek, before the flood, he's wanting, like, where did, where did Cain get a wife? And Methushael stretched forth his hands towards the people of the city of Enoch and said, Who is my mother and who are my brethren? Behold, my mother and brethren, and behold, those that surround them were in the hundreds with Mark's skin. Now, that right there makes you feel a little bit uncomfortable because Yahusha said the same thing. Um, I'm going to, I have a, I have a working theory that um, 
Yahusha, of course, we all know was a Meshelzedek priest. I believe that the Meshelzedeks had way more writings than we have today. I think Enoch wrote way more. I actually think that Isaiah, uh, the prophet Isaiah, quoted from the book of Enoch in ways that, and I have theories or reasons I believe this, that we can't back up today. Um, and so I, I personally think that there's going to be some quotes in here that uh, may have come, like they would have been very familiar with Enoch and other things like that. So just kind of put that in the back of your mind. Young Lemek's frustration with Muthushael. And Lemek's questions never brought about answers from his father Muthushael that satisfied. And as Lemek grew older, he became bitter in his soul. For Lemek knew that Elohim did not smile upon him because of his answers to Cain and the mark for something strange. Lemek seeks the descendants of Seth. As a young man, Lemek sought the descendants of Seth to learn how to worship uh, Adon of all the... Let me get the next slide here. Slide number six. Of all the descendants of Seth, Jared, the father of Enoch, who was caught up, was the only one who would speak with Lemek. And that's really fascinating, too, because we do see Enoch that... He would go, he was, a, he was like an advocate, and he would go speak to the giants, he would speak to the watchers, he would go and preach and minister to the sons of Cain. So, um, you know, he probably didn't really have access to the others because they were up on the mountain of worship. And so at this point in time, he could go speak with Enoch. How can Adonai see favor in me? Lemek asked, uh, I guess maybe Jared. And Jared showed Lemek how to give praise and thanks and how to dress and burn sacrifice that pleases Adonai. And from time forward, Lemek prayed to the Elohim of Adam fervently in secret. But because of the mark of Cain upon uh, in the land he was in, Elohim chose to not look at Lemek, for he was cursed. Then Lemek did as much right as possible within the corrupt land, he gazed upon the evil, but did not participate in it. Lemek did not rape, and he did not steal. Lemek did not turn his body over to the spirits or giants for defilement. Lemek would not enter the temples for pleasure or drink any of the potions that were offered to him. Lemek did not worship the sons of Elohim as the others did, for the sons of Elohim practiced divination spells. Resurrection. That's interesting. And there were that was that were unknown to Limic. And then something here about damnation. Slide seven. Now I want to just point out here that from Limic's point of view, he is worshiping Yahuwah. Uh, but the most high is not listening to him. And I'm going to make the case, and I think it's pretty evident, you'll see it, that it's almost like somebody claiming to worship Yahuwah through the golden calf, through Baal. And they're wondering why he's ignoring them, right? It's the same instance here. Uh, he never once, from what I've read in this book, truly uh, loved or worshipped the Most High. Yuval the, the Rephaim and the Leviathan. 
So this Yuval character is a specific type of giant, the Rephaim, uh, which is uh, King Og's class. Um, Og was before the flood as well, and he was a Rephaim. And Limic met Yuval the giant while walking. The, something about the desolation of the land. Yuval's ways were tender, gentle, and delicate. And with Limic, Yuval the giant was both kind and humble. Yuval's peaceful ways were different than the other giants of the land. Because of his nature, Yuval and Limic soon became bound together in close friendship. Yuval the giant loved Limic as much as he did his own life. It almost sounds a little bit like uh, the Epic of Gilgamesh here with uh, Enkindu and Gilgamesh. Lemek learns to command Leviathan. And Yuval took Lemek to the edge of the sea. And they saw Leviathan coming out, out of the sea having ten horns upon its head. Where have we read that before? And Leviathan was broad on both sides and great. And Lemek and Yuval the giant were small in his midst. They looked up to Leviathan. Uh, something about a great flow of waters arose like a storm. Leviathan was large as a mountain and covered with earth. I almost think of that scene in um, the never-ending story when the, the, the turtle was covered in earth but came out of the water. Uh, he was covered with earth, plants, trees, and Lemek and Yuval the giant stood in all of him and his female. For the movement of Leviathan was a big disturbance, and all who were, about, um, who were about knew of his coming. And Leviathan was a large sea creature that was also seen on land. And Yuval provided Leviathan with ample food. Now, I'm of the opinion here, and we could look at this in Enoch, that he's actually describing Leviathan and Behemoth. But we never see the word Behemoth in here. Uh, here it just says, uh, I think it was it in, um, I can't even, I can't remember. Maybe someone can clarify in Enoch if Behemoth is the male and Leviathan is the female. I can't recall at the moment. Uh, but uh, he describes a male and a female and he calls them both Leviathan. He says, one, the, uh, the male, I think, lives on the land, the female in the ocean. But um, anyways, we can look that up later. All right, slide number eight. Saying to Leviathan, you will have life for many years to come. Take your ease, eat, drink, and enjoy yourself. Yuval then taught Lemek the ways of the Leviathan and gave Lemek command over them, both male and female. And the Leviathan moved unscathed in all things and had skin that could not be harmed or pierced by weapons of any kind. Um, so that the Leviathan, male and female, would follow Lemek as a walking beast. And both of the Leviathan ate flesh and inner parts torn from the bones of the dead and the beast of the earth. Leviathan protected Lemek on every side from the perversions of the land and the lions and great wild beasts of old stayed away from Lemek and his lands. And it was so that if Lemek clapped his hands together with the Leviathan, the, that the Leviathan would kill he whom which Lemek instructed. So that's interesting. And here he's, you know, here he is thinking he's, you know, praising Yahuwah the Most High, and he's he's got Leviathan here. Uh, hopefully, you guys, of course, saw the the connection to Revelation. And last week when I went through the seven. 
uh, uh, firmaments of heaven, and we got to the third heaven, and I talked about the big, the two big beasts up there, and the one uh, dragon-like monster that that represents his whole self as Sheol, and he's like eating people. I think that's Leviathan. I think this is the same thing, and you'll see a little bit more of what I'm talking about. The Lemic breeds Leviathan. Lemic then took fresh-cut branches from poplar, gopher wood, and trees, and made white strips on. Oh, next slide. Slide number nine. Still processing. Come on now. Hmm. This isn't going to work if it isn't processed. There it goes. Then peeling the bark and exposing the white inner wood of the branch. And Lemek then placed the peeled branches in the watering pit so that they would be directly in front of the Leviathan when they came to drink. When the Leviathan came to drink, they mated in front of the branches, the male and the female. And they bore young that had horns and had spikes that were sharp to the touch. Lemek then gave the Leviathan offspring to uh, Yuval and all that were born afterwards as payment for Yuval teaching Lemek how to tame the Leviathan. Leviathan murders for Lemek. So <laughs> uh, this is starting not to go good. And Lemek, something about the city of Enoch, demanded anyone that he saw, where did you come from and what is your lineage? For he did not understand how there were multitudes of descendants of Cain with the leprous white marking. And some men gave answers that offended Limic, and he clapped his hands, and the Leviathan killed them, whether they were marked or not. So at this point in time, the sons of Seth have obviously, uh, they're living down with the sons of Cain. There's some that are marked, some that aren't. Male and female, they killed them. And it was so that Limech never raised a hand against another man. Leviathan did his bidding, which was not called murder. For Cain had murdered um, something about his... It looks like he hasn't murdered with his bare hands. That's what I think it says there. Slide number 10. And Limech considered the Leviathan that followed him with scales that could not be penetrated. And he said, Leviathan the Invincible, warrior, someday rouse yourself and punish nations. Never be angry with men if they pray to you, for you will restore and smile upon us. Look down from your great evil height and take notice, for Leviathan is my strength and my personal bravery and my invincible army. Leviathan makes my feet. Uh, beast and walk terror of him. How Leviathan has helped me through all my trouble, suffering, and responsibility. All that saw Limic, Yuval the giant, and the Leviathan were in awe of him. Now, it, it, it helps to uh, now keep in mind Limic is what is he again? He's a master Mahon, according to the writings of Abraham. This guy is he's you know, top billing here, right? Of the very elites of the occultist societies. And Leviathan is a, a, a spiritual entity that seems to represent death itself. 
um, you know, when you can understand that, you know, according to legends, he's one of like the seven princes of Sheol, all this different stuff, a lot going on with Leviathan. Uh, but it seems like he's got, you know, death working for him. Chapter four, Lemek and Yuval the giant and the high places. So what are the high places again? This is what, of course, develop into um, the same sort of worship in the Old Testament, the high places where they would uh, pass children through the flames. And the sin swirled above both Lemek and Yuval the Rephaim giant like clouds forming uh, a storm, yet the earth knew not rain. So this, of course, is saying that it did not rain upon the earth yet. Slide 11. Lemek desires to commune with Elohim as the line of Seth did. Lemek consider. Hopefully, we haven't read this. No, this should still be good. Lemek considered to himself the evils of his own hands and the sins of the descendants of Cain. Lemek desired to commune with Elohim as Adam had done and as the line of Seth. Um, wait, did we read this already? No, I don't think we did. Um, he followed the ways that Jared had spoken of, and in secret, Lemek and Yuval the giant practiced what was right when they gave prayer and offerings. Both Lemek and Yuval became more saddened because there was no goodness about them and no chance for goodness in their life. And Lemek and Yuval observed the descendants of Seth and considered the worship of Elohim Adonai. Then something about darkness and living among the wickedness of the line of Cain caused the evils of Lemek and Yuval to grow and smolder in their hands as it, as it was at that time. So he seems really confused here because he's doing very evil things, but he's claiming to worship the Most High. And he's wondering why the Most High doesn't listen to him. Both Lemek and Yuval, the giant, would then lay their smoldering hands on beasts and leave their sins upon the animals. So it looks like they're sacrificing animals, kind of a transfer here of sins, kind of interesting. And the beasts would die as the evils were imparted into or upon them. And it came to be that when the sinful burdens of Lemek and Yuval the giant were great, the animal would burst into flames uh, from of their sinful touch and something about worship and majesty. Slide 12. Lemek and Yuval practice proper worship. Lemek and Yuval, the giant, climbed to the high places and laid their hands upon beasts and sacrificed them as did the lineage of Seth, imparting the evils that they carried in their hands to the sacrificial beast. Both Lemek and Yuval, the giant, were upright as they sought the face of the Almighty. For both Lemek and the giant did not kill nor wape nor steal nor worship the sons of Elohim. Adonai would not, um, I guess, bend or lick his face, uh, turn his face towards them. For Yuval was a Rephaim, and Limic had the leprous mark of Cain. In this way, Limic and Yuval the giant continued to sacrifice to the Almighty for years. Yet Adonai did not bother to hear them or respect their sacrifices. This is like, it, it's sounding like Cain all over again. I mean, Cain, uh, you know. He, Yahuwah didn't, um, did not uh, respect or honor his sacrifice either. And, of course, Cain you know, had the wrong intent behind it. 
Limech and Yuval turned to Leviathan, and as if they hadn't already. And after both Limech and Yuval, the giant had prayed the way that Jared had shown them and sacrificed animals with open hearts to Adonai for 25 years. Their spirits were still untouched by him, for Adonai did not smile upon them, respect their sacrifices, or answer their prayers. What a stupid waste of time, Lemek lamented. And here's where he becomes. This is what, you know, the story of becoming Darth Vader. Here's where he turns. And he had Leviathan destroy the place of worship that he and Yuval the Giant uh, had built for Adonai. And where, I guess, Adonai had ignored them. And so Lemek and Yuval the Giant chose to worship Leviathan that they tamed. For the Leviathan was great in stature. Male and female, their skin was invincible. And Limic and Yuval the Giant then sacrificed to Leviathan. And, okay, this is, this is mind-blowing right here, guys. And taught the sons of Cain and Seth how to pass their children through the water to Leviathan. And both of them sing out. I want to pause here because... We later see, after the flood, uh, the sons of Israel uh, would, would go to the valley of Gehenna and pass their seed through the fire to worship Molech or Baal. And what, what they were doing when they would do this, it was a, a immortalization rite. Okay? Um, in order, by, by sacrificing your oldest child into the flames, it was an immortalization right for the child, but maybe for yourself and others. I mean, think about like the movie King Kong, like the, the, the came out in the 30s. And remember, they would sacrifice a virgin to King Kong. That was an immortalization right. It wasn't just to appease the God. And, and so this is interesting because before the flood, they were passing children through the water. Now, keep in mind, they all knew the flood was coming. They all knew that they were going to be destroyed by the flood water. And so what they're trying to do is they're trying to circumnavigate Yahuwah and they're trying to say, you know, we're going to Leviathan, who is like Sheol, right? He's like a representation of Sheol, a spiritual entity that is somehow connected to death itself. That if we feed these children to uh, death itself, to Leviathan, that he will, he will bless us. He will, we will escape the death. We will become immortal. Well, it's interesting that, they, you know, Nimrod, after the flood, he was the first, and I'll be giving, um, talking more about this in the upcoming weeks and preparing something on this. He was the first to uh, teach the worship of fire. Well, that's interesting because uh, Nimrod knew that Yahuwah had told Noah that he will no longer destroy the world with, with a flood. From this point on, he will destroy the world with what? Fire. So now they're doing, after the flood, they're doing immortalization rites through fire. Why? Because they want it, they know it's coming. They know the judgment that's coming, the lake of fire. And their hope is, is that they can, they can escape the flames, right? They can become immortal. Um, so that's what's really going on here. This is just the, the little background of this. And, and, you know, it's another thing, too, that to pick up on is that when Nimrod throws Abraham into the fire. He was the guy who introduced the worship of fire to that generation. He throws Abraham into the fire, and the miracle is, who is like, guess what? This guy right here, he's holy and set apart. The fire is not going to affect him. He's going to be divine. He's going to live through it. 
And, and like, you know, Nimrod obviously didn't like that, you know, because that, that was the whole point of, you know, appeasing, appeasing death so that he himself would not be destroyed. He Leviathan spread his sharp undersides in the mire, uh, causes the deep to boil like a pot. He Leviathan makes the sea his own pots of ointment. He Leviathan makes a deep and hoary wake that shines in the water. There is nothing like Leviathan and his female on earth, for they were made without fear. Now, I, I feel like Enoch actually places the male on the earth, but whatever, we can look that up. Leviathan is king over this evil and all of its prideful inhabitants. Now, here, this makes me a little uncomfortable because they're like worshiping and praying uh, to Leviathan. Um, I'm just, you know, reading this. I'm, you know, hopefully everyone understands that I'm not like, you know, praying to Leviathan, but okay, let's continue on. Your tenth horn calls us to worship. I don't know what it is about the tenth horn. Maybe someone else does. Let today be a holy day of worship and to give you the pleasure of consuming a firstborn male child. All right. So reading this prayer made me really uncomfortable. I don't want to be in violation of anything within scripture. And so I'm just going to go ahead and leave this out. And really, it goes on and on and on. And really, it doesn't add anything to this book. Somebody might be able to see the entity Leviathan as somehow identified with Gog and how he hopes to see Leviathan one day destroying all the, the set apart, the Holy Ones and Yahuwah himself. So because this is morbid, I'm just skipping right over it. If you want to read this prayer for yourself, you can track down a copy and read it. I think I've offered enough in this reading. Moving on. And Leviathan has ten horns, and he, Leviathan, will destroy the mighty and the people of the holy ones who worship him not. Those that lick dust as a serpent, they tremble. Well, that's really interesting. Um, those that lick dust as a serpent, um, I always take it that the the command of the the serpent licking the dust is to the serpent, but. You know, that may be a reference to uh, more than just a physical serpent there. Uh, that's what it looks like to me. <clears throat> of Leviathan, they are afraid. Yea, they are afraid of thee. Chapter 6, Tubal-Cain and Leviathan. Now remember, Tubal-Cain is the sister of Naima. Tubal-Cain, the son of Limech, who worked with iron and ore, considered uh, Leviathan. For Limech had boasted, be afraid of Leviathan that can kill the body and kill the soul in this cursed land that is now Sheol. So it's interesting because this is like a reversal of, of, of what Yahushua says. And again, this is again, this is the immortalization rites, right? Like by offering themselves to be killed or their children, you know, they are promised safety in the next world. And this is what it's like through all the mystery religions. Tubal Cain considers the safety of Limix. So let's get to slide 24 here. And Tubal Cain said, Will Limix make supplications to the Leviathan? Will Limix speak soft words to Leviathan? Has Limix made a covenant with him? Will the Leviathan serve Limix forever? Will Leviathan play with Limix as one plays with a bird? Will the female Leviathan make a banquet of my father? 
Will Lamech be torn to pieces by Leviathan before the merchants of the city of Enoch? This beast Leviathan is not to be trusted. And what of Tubal-Cain, the son of Lamech? I must find a way to fill Leviathan's skin with barbed irons. I must fill Leviathan's head with fish spears. From this time on, Tubal-Cain only considered evil when he saw his father Lamech with the Leviathan. And Tubal-Cain determined in his heart to show Lamech how to kill the Leviathan that had served Lamech so well. For, um, for I, I'm guessing, Leviathan was the size of a mountain, and Tubal-Cain, not so. Tubal-Cain plans to kill the Leviathan. Tubal-Cain knew nothing of the beast of the field or the sea, for he made weapons of violence against them all. Tubal-Cain only knew, um, I don't know, something about how to kill, and such was his... Go to the next slide. Mind on living things. And Tubal-Cain was jealous and coveted the law that his father Lemek had for Leviathan. Tubal-Cain burned with envy and anger and was not able to obtain contentment or happiness. Um, for he what he desired was the death of Leviathan. And Tubal-Cain sought to make an edge weapon that could kill the Leviathan. For Tubal-Cain believed his father might rejoice when a weapon was presented or produced that could kill the Leviathan. And Tubal-Cain considered the weapon to make to kill Leviathan, saying, Can I make a hook that will draw Leviathan? Is there a cord that I, that I can let down to catch Leviathan with? Can I put a hook into Leviathan's nose? Can I bore through his jaw with a thorn? How might I kill this ten-horned beast of my father Limic? For every sword and spear cannot remove the um, uh, the heart of the Habergeon upon Leviathan. Tubal-Cain threatens Leviathan. I will lay my hands upon Leviathan, and all will remember the battle. All hope of overcoming the monster is true. I will not be overwhelmed by the sight of Leviathan. Who is able to stand against Tubal-Cain, who has come before me with weapons that kill? Everything under... Slide number 26. The dark heavens is mine, and I will take I will take Leviathan's limbs from his body, and I will separate his powerful proportions. I remove his outer coat and will pluck his ten horns, and I um, will humble Leviathan with a double bridle or bridle. I will open the doors of his horrible face, and I will break Leviathan's terrible teeth all around. I will humble his rows of scales that are his pride and shut up tightly. Uh, so that no air comes between them. Leviathan's scales stick together so they cannot be parted, but I will part them. I will attack Leviathan's eyelids um, of the morning. I will snuff out the burning lights and sparks that shoot from his breath. I will cool his breath that kindles coals with death, and I will extinguish the flame that goes out of his mouth. I will put hooks in Leviathan's jaw. The fish of the rivers will stick to your scales. I will bring you up out of the midst of your rivers, and all the fish in your rivers will stick to your scales, and I will leave you dead in the wilderness. You and the fish of your rivers, you shall fall on an open field. You shall not be picked up or gathered. All right. Slide 27. For I, Tubal-Cain, have given you as food to the beasts of the fields, and to the birds of the darkened skies. I will break the strength of his neck. 
I will tear his shoulders with my hands. I will lean on him and break him and make his loins shake. For I made the, the dam and the river is mine. I, Tubal-Cain, have made it. Indeed, Leviathan, I am against you and your rivers. I will find a way to get between the folds of, the, of flesh, joined together, which are firm and cannot be moved. I will pierce Leviathan's heart of stone with iron that I forge. Talk about a long-winded speech. When the Leviathan raises himself up on high, all of the mighty tremble, but Tubal-Cain is not afraid. Because of Leviathan's crashing rumblings, all mankind are beside themselves, but Tubal-Cain is not. For Leviathan treats my weapons of iron as straw and my tools of brass as rotten wood. The arrows I create cannot make him, uh, Leviathan, flee. The stones I sling turn to rubble against it. Leviathan scales. He laughs at me as I shake my spear. But I have seen you, Leviathan. I will build a severe sword, great and strong. Slide 28. I will punish Leviathan, that fleeing serpent, Leviathan, that twisted serpent. So that's interesting here. He actually calls him a twisted serpent, which uh, what many people, uh, scholars say Leviathan actually means, like the coiled one or whatever, the twisted or coiled one. And I will slay the reptile that is in the sea, for you are the size of a hill, not a mountain. You are a hill and you are not enough for me. Chapter 7, Lemek. The polygamist. Uh-oh. There were less women in that time, and Limic had two wives, for Limic was exceedingly wealthy. And the wives knew that to marry, a woman should decide if it is for love or for wealth. Sounds a lot like today. Zilla and Ada both chose to marry Limic for wealth. And Limic shamelessly uncovered himself before both of them, and they mocked him and said he was a vain man. I'm assuming here that maybe at the same time he uncovered himself, not quite sure. Maybe separately, I don't know. And they rejected his statutes and never listened to his, I don't know, his advice, I don't know, his commands. And they followed their own vanity and became vain themselves. And they encouraged the young men to lust after their nakedness, when they bathed in the city of Enoch. Sounds like they married him for the money. And he knew it. All right, Lemek cannot love two women at the same time. Lemek learned that no man can serve two wives, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. Lemek could not serve both Zella and Ada. Lemek himself... Um, I'm not sure if he was in love or not in love with Ada. There's a lot of dot dots there. The mother of Jabal and Jubal. And while he was in love with Ada, I guess, okay, there you go, he was in love with her. Zella vexed Lemek because she was jealous. And then Lemek, in, uh, being, I guess, in love with Zella, and then Ada vexed him. And so both women deceived him and they tricked him into leaving their beds. Zilla would say, tonight you stay with Ada. And upon arriving in Ada's chambers, Ada would say, you belong in Zilla's bed. Sounds like a lot of marital strife, uh, strife here. And Lemek's life was such that he left his house often to spend his time with Yuval the giant and the Leviathan. Lemek in the temple prostitute. 
And when Limic did finally go to the temple in the city of Enoch, and he saw a temple prostitute that he liked, and he slept with her, and he never kissed her or learned her name. And soon the temple prostitute became the only woman that Limic thought of. And Zella and Ada began allowing lustful young men into their tents. Seems like a very happy family. When Limic learned of this, he sent for his son Tubal Cain. And there's a weapon there because Limic wanted to murder these young men. He didn't want the Leviathan to do it, for Limic desired to commit the sin of Cain. Chapter 8, Naima's Secret. This is where the book really starts to take some, uh, some uh, well, you'll, you'll see what I'm talking about, the, the lie. And Limic had a daughter by his wife, Zella, named Naima. Now, remember in the writings of Abraham, it said that Zella went a long time, and then finally Yahuwah opened up her womb, and she gave birth to Tubal-Cain first, and then, I think, Naima. And Naima was born pale and not with the complete mark of the line of Cain. That's kind of interesting. Naima was beautiful and pleasant before the eyes of all and known in the city of Enoch for her singing. Lemek, Jebal, Jubal, and Tubal-Cain then all warned Naima of the sons of Elohim. The sons of Elohim in the city of Enoch. And the sons of Elohim in the midst of the city of Enoch were mighty. They had power and authority, and they had their way with anyone they laid their hands upon. So this is what it means when Mo Moshe talks about, and they took human wives, like anyone they desired, they took, anybody. I, I take it they probably murdered husbands to get wives too. And the sons of Elohim showed man how to mix the blood and other abominations in the city of Enoch. This is what Jasher talks about. The sons of Elohim were um, extravagant and ruled over the city of Enoch with misery, and there was no rest in their hatred. With this misery, they mocked. Let's see what else do we got here. What slide was that? Was that 29? Okay, I think we're on 30. Um. Hold on a second. Let me just make sure I got the right one here. Hmm. Okay. Uh, I feel like I got this wrong. Did I just put down? Yeah, I put down the same one twice. Okay, I got it. Thank you. 31 is next. All right. They mocked men with songs for the destruction of the wicked is singing well isn't that interesting because that's exactly what the music world is like today like the watchers are mocking us with their songs that's pretty crazy for the destruction of the wicked is singing the evils and violence of the land and there was violence on the earth and violence in all things for there were less women and the men continually sought strange flesh for gratification the wrath of living things was a force that the earth had never seen. Evil spread like locusts, resting upon every part of the land, and there never will be evil such as that again. Men then uncovered the nakedness of their fathers and their mothers, 
They uncovered the nakedness of their brothers and sisters and the nakedness of their own children. And men approached their blood relatives to uncover their nakedness, sharing all that was carnal within their family. And the prize was to uncover a woman's nakedness during her menstrual impurity. They were more carnal than any men who have ever walked the earth ever since, for they did not have the understanding of men. For carnal men know and fools understand. Blood sacrifices were offered with leaven, for the bread of wickedness was fresh, and the wine of violence intoxicated all living things. And curses fell from the mouths of men and into the earth throughout the day and night. And the earth was, slide 32. And the earth was burnt from the wickedness, and the desolation grew as men cursed all. Cursing their fathers and women cursed their mothers, and all that lived cursed and blasphemed all. For the wicked loved the violence with all their souls, and violence covered them like a garment. Lemech warns Naamah of the sons of Elohim. And Lemech warned Naamah with these words, Beware of the sons of Elohim, my daughter. Stay away from them, for their intentions to you are not of this earth. And Naamah said, Do you not govern all of this land with your Leviathan? Am I not safe if I eat bread and let my heart be merry with the sons of Elohim? Naamah and the sons of Elohim. Now this is a little graphic here. Uh, but we can back this up actually with the book of Enoch. It says the same thing. Well, it's describing the angels. Um, and Naamah was seduced by those whose genital organs were the size of a beast of the field and whose, whose ejaculate was that of a horse. And Enoch actually says the same thing about the angels. And Naamah lusted after the sons of Elohim, and Lemek, Tubalcane, Jabal, and Jubal all gnashed their teeth and ground their jaws and dreamed of death and revenge upon the Nephilim. And Naamah did worship the sons of Elohim, as was the practice at that time, and she did practice, I think we're on 33 now. And she did practice divination, spells, resurrection with them i'm really interested in what this resurrection is um i think it has to do with the immortalization rights but and men in that um i guess maybe that time or whatever changed into beast and the beast changed into men and men yielded to the beast and the birds to lie with them and the men were raped mightily and those between the land of the dead and the living they, that made it I don't know what that means between the land and the dead and the living mated, but uh, them as well. And the Gontiqua was among them. Guys, the Gontiqua are werewolves. So it's saying the werewolves were among them. And this is what it's talking about, how men change into animals and back into men. And men came into the beast and the beast came into men and the earth groaned for all of the sexual deviancy. And Naamah chose to lay with them, and they treated her as a whore. And she became a whore of the daughters of Cain. And the price for the imperious whore was the price of a loaf of bread. And all of the sons of Elohim committed fornication and lived deliciously with her. For Naamah was both a deep ditch and a narrow pit. And as a whore deriding a gift, she mocked Leviathan openly. 
Now, I take it in this book that um, uh, Lemek is is not happy with his daughter. <laughs> we'll put it that way. But um, this is where it starts getting to where it's like, you know, what he's saying about her doesn't necessarily mean it's true. And one day, Naima was in the open square, drunk with the blood of the sons of Elohim, for they served it to her in ornate uh, chalices. And of course, that's, you know, that's an interesting ancient practice as well. And Lemek saw her and wondered with great admiration, for giants and men and the sons of Elohim all mingled with Naima. She wore her gold and pearls and sat upon the waters, and she was loved by all, and none saw uh, desolation when she was near and those that wanted a uh, slide 34 um, what did it say and those that wanted to tear her clothes from her and eat her flesh all had a change of heart when they looked in her eyes and she took a harp and walked about the city of Enoch singing like a forgotten whore and none remembered how she had sung before Lamech mourns for his daughter. And Lemek was troubled, for he could not stop Naima from mingling with the sons of Elohim. Leviathan would not smite the sons of Elohim. And Lemek was troubled deeply. So right there it says that, because remember, he would clap his hands and Leviathan would just go kill someone. And Leviathan was not given permission to kill the sons of Elohim. That's kind of interesting. <clears throat> or at least did not have the power to do so. And Lemek groaned in himself to a grave and a large stone that lay upon it. And Lemek asked the Leviathan to remove the stone, and the air stunk. And Lemek raised his eyes to the Leviathan and said, Leviathan, I thank you that you have heard me, and I know that you hear me always. And Lemek laid himself down on the bones of another and wrapped himself in the grave clothes and said, I may as well be dead, for my daughter has gone the way of the sons of Elohim. Lemek then laid peacefully in the grave. And when he knew what to tell Naima, he came forth bound hand and foot with grave clothes. That's disgusting. And he loosed them and let go of them, for he loved Naima with his heart and forgave her for all, saying, I will call Naima a whore no longer, for she will be the last of her kind, and I shall prepare her for it. Slide 35. In all of her fornication with the sons of Elohim, Naima never conceived. And she was never and she was never killed bearing a giant, which was what women did in that time. And remember we we saw that where like I think it was in Enoch where the the women who were uh laying with the giants, they would have or I should say no, with the watchers, and they would have the the, the giant babies and they would die because the babies would get so big and just ripped out of their womb. Uh so she never got pregnant. Name Nama's flesh was then corrupted. For the ways of the sons of Elohim are not man's ways. Naima eventually put away childish things, and then later she met Noah. Before Noah and Naima wed, Lebek instructed her not to tell Noah that she had lain with the Nephilim in her youth. Time enough had passed, and Noah did not know of, what, of whom Naima had lain with. For Noah sought a wife that was upright and pure, and Naima was not those things, and none of those things were available to Noah at the time. Nor was Noah upright and pure, for all was corrupted. There, boom, there you go right there. Actually, there's one more lie after this. And Noah and Naima had, uh, keep in mind, his Lemek's view of the world is very warped. 
So hopefully everyone is not freaking out at this point. They can handle what this uh, conclusion here. And Noah and Nama had three sons, Ham, Shem, and Japheth. And Ham was the palest of her children from the mark that he carried of his ancestry. And the corruption that Naima fostered in secret from Noah and other blank, 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 are they not told in the first book of Naima? Chapter 9, Lemmick's Dream. Slide 36. And Lemmick had a dream. In the dream, Cain, um, ancient and white, a broken horn of a beast grew out of the side of Cain's head. Lemmick killed Cain, a strange and awful weapon. And then there's obviously a lot missing here, so we don't have all this. In chapter 10, the song of the sword that can kill Leviathan. Tubal Cain prays for revelation about his weapon. And Tubal Cain went out into the cursed land where the rocks groaned and begged for their death. And Tubal Cain fell to his knees and spoke to, uh, I guess, any Elohim that would listen, saying, Do I not spice the work of Cain? Was I not born after my mother Zella had withered? Well, that's interesting because that's what the writings of Abraham said, that she was way beyond childbearing years. Do I not work with iron and brass? Where will I find the wisdom to make the weapon that can kill Leviathan? For the, t for the time to prove myself is very... Slide 37. we got three more slides to go. Uh, very near. This is the time to kill Leviathan, who preys upon the children of the land and who arose from the sea with majesty. Let me kill the male, that the female may survive and continue, for I must prove my dominion over the fish of the sea and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. That's interesting that he's taking the language there of, um, of the command, even though the, the Canaanites don't believe that. How will I fashion a weapon that will make it, to make it come to pass that I shall have dominion over Leviathan? How may I set my face against Leviathan and defeat him in the presence of my father? I will remain alive with dominion over the dead. I will have dominion over the mighty, for I hate the Leviathan, and I will have dominion over him. And the female, the female will flee from me, even when I do not pursue her. And how may I have dominion over Leviathan and not be driven from the face of the land and driven from the face of, e of the city of Enoch? From all faces I will have to be hidden, and a fugitive and a vagabond and a wanderer of the earth as my father Cain was, for I have shown my domin dominion over Leviathan. And Tubal Cain, um, I guess he was like in a spiritual stupor, as he considered iron brass and murder. The ground itself opened and roots and branches came forth and wrapped themselves about Tubal Cain's arms and legs and head, and the earth whispered dark secrets to him as the roots pulled at him and he held him above the ground upon his knees. Well, that's weird. That's a weird scene. Um, two more slides. When Tubal Cain knew of the answer, the branches and roots left him and he was free to go. And behold, Tubal Cain then fashioned a sharp threshing sledge with teeth. So it sounds like um, the earth itself is telling him, okay, this is how you, you want to you whack Leviathan, this is how you go about doing it. One that could make the hills as chaff 
And Tubal Cain waited. So he's got quite the weapon here, and I, I can't envision what this weapon is. And Tubal Cain waited with both hands on the sledge for Lemek, Yuval the Giant, and Levi Leviathan to arrive. And when Lemek and Yuval the Giant and Leviathan presented themselves to Tubal Cain, he spoke, saying, Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be made even whiter than Cain, whiter than snow. And Tubal Cain swung the sledge up and into the belly of the Leviathan and ran cutting into the scales of his stomach and opening him completely. And Leviathan shed out bowels, and they gushed to the ground. This is the original dragon sling story right here. And Tubal Cain struck Leviathan again, so he died. There was no mercy from Tubal Cain, who then beheaded Leviathan. And it took six men to remove the head after Tubal Cain cut through with the sledge. And the men hung the head of Leviathan aloft with spears in the center of the city of Enoch. And Lemek rejoiced, for his son Tubal Cain had indeed created a weapon that killed Leviathan. And the female lived as Tubal Cain had foreseen. And Lemek, in his happiness, clapped his hands. And the female Leviathan did, then did kill Tubal Cain where he stood. So Lemek kills his own son. Last page. And Lemek was saddened and went to his home with the sledge Tubal Cain had killed Leviathan. And Lemek found a young man attempting to seduce Ada in her chambers. And Lemek defended Ada mightily and was struck by the palms of the young man's hands, for he was strong. Then Lemek cleaved the young man in two with the sledge that had killed Leviathan. And he held the sledge uh, aloft, saying, Ada and Zella, hear my voice. Ye wives of Lemek, give ear to my speech. I will slay men for smiting me, and for wounding me, young men shall die. If Cain shall be avenged sevenfold, Lemek, seventy and seven. All right, guys, that was it. That was the reading of the book, the book of Lemek, of Cain and Leviathan. And uh, looking at the time, it's, uh, I don't think I have time to read one of my other papers. Um, I should have known better. But... Uh, Tell me your guys' thoughts. That was that was quite the read. A little, yeah, it was very crazy, a little troubling. Um, but I'm I'm I really am curious to hear your guys' thoughts. You know, I I won't have my feelings hurt if you guys you know say it was garbage. I don't know. I mean, there were a lot of interesting parallels to other things we see in actual scripture. It, I, I mean, I felt troubled when that weird praising leviathan song was being recited but um the rest of it was interesting and i it lines up with jasher how tubal cain was killed lamette clapped his hands and then the female killed him like in jasher it says he clapped his hands and struck tubal cain and he died so i just i found that interesting but the thing with nama and noah being you know tainted that's obviously a deviation from truth but yeah fascinating yeah i mean keep in mind that this is the uh this is the this is again this is not the perspective from the set apart this is the perspective of the sons of cain and um you know he had he had questions about the creation of the world and all sorts of stuff that he didn't have answers to and from his perspective he's like yeah noah's just as unclean as everybody else um but that you know just because he believed that doesn't mean it was true right 
Yeah, you know, Andrew, you're saying that the praising Leviathan was troubling. I was troubled reading it. You know, it's like several pages. It kept going on and on and on. Um, you guys all need to recognize, though, that the I, the thing is, though, is that, and I, I want to actually write a paper on Leviathan because when it talks about Leviathan in Scripture, uh, Scripture did not invent Leviathan. Leviathan goes back to um, Canaanite, uh, maybe Phoenician stories, Mesopotamian stories, uh, and the creation myth, and all different things like that. There's actually a, a lot of other texts on Leviathan, and it is my and so you. There's a really interesting passage in Psalms where Yahuwah treats Leviathan like a like sport, uh, like when he's when he's um, talking to Job about how can you you know wrestle with Leviathan? He's like, well, I can, but you can't. And you almost get this picture that um, in in the book of Psalms, I can't think which one it is at the moment. If you if you if you can think of a king who he goes out with his his court and his um, his servants and you know so on and so forth his soldiers his posse and he's going out to hunt like a like a gazelle or a fox or something like that you know that's what a king would do on his horses with his whole company like that's what Yahuwah seems to be doing with with um, with Leviathan that he he talks about how he like created him for sport and that he would go out and one day kill him. Um, you know, and, f- and fillet him. Um, so it, it's there hasn't been enough studies done on Leviathan. And you know, I grew up in the young earth creationist evangelical realm where you know they would say, Oh, well, Leviathan is like a dinosaur, and you know, it was like, you know, it's like actually, it's he's not, he's he's like a Leviathan is like a like literally like a serpentine, uh, spiritual entity. Um, so. I found, I, I found it interesting, the, uh, parts talking about the creatures and the mixtures of species. And, and I know we talked about, uh, this before, and you also mentioned the, like people or creatures with the face on their chests and bodies and then like you said werewolves and other mixtures and so forth at this time you know there is scripture reference to that the mixing of species with humans and and animals etc so i thought that part was you know another parallel in speaking to scriptures I, and oh, I, oh sorry i'm sorry one more thing i i dropped in there is when you were describing Leviathan, I was thinking the ten horns. What if one of the horns or all ten of the horns were like humanoids, humanoid bodies, like on its head? Like they look like actual like humans or people on their head. You know how you will see um, uh, some creatures with different uh, uh, creatures or... Maybe it has a partial body coming out of it and or extra eyes, just different things like that. And I thought maybe that could be another possibility for that too. Just just imagine how wacky those creatures could have looked and, and been. That was it. Well, you know, it's there's obviously uh, connotations of the book of Revelation here. And it makes me wonder if John is describing the Leviathan coming out of the sea, uh, coming up on the land. 
And so it's also really interesting to note the idea of, uh, I, oh, okay, that's a video game. I was like, <laughs> Hank, I, was like, I thought that was real footage at first. I'm like, what is that? Uh, you know, when, when death itself, shield itself is thrown in the lake of fire, um, I almost think that that's, I, I, I sometimes wonder if that's also a, a reference to the slaying of Leviathan. Um, again, because if you guys remember last week when we went through Third Baruch and it talked about the all the the wicked souls that are eaten by the beast, um, that that is Sheol itself. I, I don't know. I just think there's something to this, and I there's more to the picture than we're that we have in in our current writings. I think. I I I wanted to share a couple of thoughts. So first of all. Um... Um, definitely it was a confirmation of everything that we already knew from um, scripture and other uh, extra uh, external books to scriptures about those days, the, the pre-flood days. So he, um, here we have someone that was on the other side um, giving a testimonial that is completely as gore and horrific as we already knew. Um, the second thought I had was in regard to the mark of Cain. So I find it interesting that he kept saying leprosy whiteness. So he didn't say leprosy. So we know it's not leprosy. But the whiteness was like, uh, kind of like, um, like I think like pure white. And that's why he kept calling it leprosy whiteness. Uh, so I, the thought that came to me was, what if it's like albino? And then I thought, what if um, the, the, the punishment from Yah to Cain was, uh, I don't know, whenever he, he, he um, imparted that punishment, it kind of, it caused like a defect in the, the, the DNA of Cain where he turned into albino and then that that defect is passing through that bloodline and some people the gene is on and some it's off but I don't know it just came to me that maybe it's an albino thing. That was my thought that was my uh my other thought as well. I had that same mental image of yeah, albino. Exactly. Exactly. Then the last thing I was going to ask you, Noel, do you know in what language um, it was written originally? I actually don't. I don't know no. what language. Okay. Uh, what I do know is that this text, once again, came out of the Vatican. Um, they, the Vatican has been uh, kinky recently. They've been releasing some crazy stuff. And um, I don't know how many of these texts they have. When they released the Book of King Og several years ago, they admitted that they had like three to five of them. You know, they've just been hoarding them. Like they had, like, whenever they find, you know, they, it, it's almost like, like really it's like an Indiana Jones film or something like that. Whenever, you know, these archaeologists go out there and they dig up these books, the Vatican shows up and be like, yoink, we'll take that. Um, and so I don't know how many copies of this they had, but um, I think it just maybe this one was maybe one manuscript, and I don't know the original language. Anyways, I think that's all I had to... I had a lot more. I was going to go through two papers of mine, but that obviously took a long time. So 
uh, that will be, I think, all that I will share tonight. And uh, I think next week I need to talk to Zen because my last uh, uh, show got um, kind of double booked. But I think next week I will actually be on Zen Garcia's show. No promises. Uh, but it should be pretty wild next week because it's the big Millennial Kingdom week. And he's going to be asking me a lot of questions about it. And uh, I know a lot of people will be tuning in for this. Oh, what do you, what do you say? Okay, is this Leviathan, Psalm 74? Thou didst establish the sea in thy might. Thou didst break the pieces of the heads of the dragons in the water. Uh, this, oh, this comes from the Septuagint, so I've never read this version before. Thou didst break the pieces in heads of the dragon. Thou didst give him for meat to the Ethiopian nations. So the, the LXX says meat to the Ethiopian nations. Whereas the Hebrew Masoretic says that he made food for the people living in the wilderness. And I don't have it on me. Maybe someone does. But there's actually uh, that uh, taken from like Google Earth or whatever. Somebody looked down at the wilderness there in the kind of the Saudi Arabia region, the Edom region. And what looked to be a huge like uh, like a like a sea serpent, like dragon beast down there that was uh, petrified, like into, into rock. And, you know, he was pointing out that, that this event, um, that, that, that was this event. I, kind of interesting. I don't know. Cause we never read about that in Torah. And yet, according to this, the wilderness people ate Leviathan in the wilderness. So, I've never read any. Uh, go ahead, Ronit. Um, so the verse in Hebrew, it, it's really interesting. He's saying um, that Yah um, crushed the heads of Leviathan. So, so then I thought maybe, maybe there were several Leviathan, but then he continued and referring to Leviathan as a singular but it has multiple heads. So I think, uh, you know, maybe those horns are actually heads, you know. And in, in the Hebrew, it says that it has multiple heads? Yes, exactly. That, it, that Yah crushed um, the heads, like plural, of the singular Leviathan. So... The Leviathan is a singular um, creature, but it has several heads. Okay, that beast well, coming out of, that beast coming out of the scene in Revelation is so Leviathan. Yeah, yeah, exactly, yeah, that, exactly. That reminds us of the Hydra, you know, where the has multiple heads and cut one off, it grows two or something, something to that effect. But if it has ten, ten heads. And we see one of them is different, so that'd be interesting to see. And then exceeding abundantly here, put in Enoch chapter 60, verses 7 through 10. And I'll go ahead and read these. And on that day where, where two monsters parted, a female monster named Leviathan, to dwell in the abysses of the ocean over the fountains of the water. But the male is named Behemoth, who occupied with his uh, breast a waste wilderness named uh, Duodin. And this waste wilderness, by the way, um, I've seen a couple pre-Diluvian texts that appear to talk about it. One is the Book of Giants, 
talks about this waste wilderness and also, of course, uh, King Og. Uh, on the east of the garden where the elect and righteous dwell, where my grandfather was taken up, the seventh from Adam, the first man whom Yahuwah of, of spirits created. So I think he's saying that this wilderness is on the east, east of Eden, um, where the behemoth dwells. And I besought the other angel that he should show me the, the might of those monsters, how they were parted on one day and cast, the one into the abysses of the sea and the other into the dry land of the wilderness. And he said to me, Thou son of man, herein thou dost seek to know what is hidden. Ah, it is hidden from us. And then, let's see, what do we got here? Psalm, step, uh, Psalm 74, verses 13 to 14. Uh, oh, same one we read. Yeah, you divided the sea by your might. You broke the heads of the sea serpents in the waters. You broke the heads of the Leviathan in pieces. You made, uh, yeah, the heads. This is right there. You broke the heads of Leviathan in pieces. You made him food for the people living in the wilderness. Hmm. I never noticed that before with the, uh, with the heads. Yeah, what is the, the Godzilla monster with the bunch of heads? Like one of them, one of the villains or whatever has a bunch of heads. That's crazy. I think it's amazing how we can read the same verse or chapter many, many times. And then all of a sudden we see something new, you know? Yeah. Noah, uh, Noel, do, do, do you know who actually wrote this, this uh, scripture? Is it was it Lamech himself, or was Lamech telling his story to another uh, person who was actually writing it down? See, that's impossible for me to say. And again, I would clarify: I do not consider the scripture uh, in terms of you know it, it. It's not a lost book of the Bible because it would never be included in the Bible to begin with. Um, and so, I don't know if Lamech wrote it. It seems to be implied that he is the author of it. Uh, the, the translator, you know, and, uh, advertised it as that it was taken on the, the ark, which maybe it was. Um, or it was um, perhaps written down afterwards by, you know, Ham or one of his sons. I, I don't know. I really don't know. Um, you know, I, I think that there's what's interesting about this book is that there seems to be a lot of honesty to it. And, you know, about the, the it, it, you know, recognizing that there's the creator uh, and the creator who, you know, like it recognizes the whole story of Genesis. It's really interesting. Again, with just a couple lies in there, you know, distorted vision. Um, it's almost like uh, Dave was telling me, I was, um, we were, Dave and I were talking recently. I watched the movie, The Dark Crystal. That's one from like 1982, like that Muppets movie. It was made by Frank Oz and Jim Henson. And it was a fascinating story. Um, a lot of questions, but it ended the, I'll give away the ending. So sorry to break this for anyone, but the ending has where the, the, the good Muppets and the evil Muppets, they, uh, when the, when the shards of the crystal are united, they all like blend together and become one entity. And it's almost like, like that's what evil people like. They know wh where evil is ending up. They know where the lake of fire, where this is going. But they have this like hope that they will, you know, become one with the the, the righteous, the holy ones, and you know they're all gonna like that's the that's the the ending that they wish would happen. And it, I almost get this with this book as well, where it's like 
like Lemek, you know, he's like, oh, but we, you know, really all the children of men, you know, Japheth and Shem, they're all the sons of Ham. I mean, or not the the sons of Cain, right? Like it's it's almost like what they hope will be. And um, that's where I would say, you know, that, that obviously uh, where they're completely wrong. In. Yeah, because there are a lot of details there, which uh, we kind of points like some some very uh, detailed uh, narrative that actually points that only Lamech himself would actually know, like how he was in front of his wife's and yeah. the details so it kind of points that um uh lamech wrote it but it's not in the first person narrative like enoch for example enoch uh, writes whatever he writes and says enoch you know the seventh from adam etc uh, etc et where here is like someone else is writing it for him and kind of like well Lamech is, 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 is telling him the story to write down. And obviously there's a lot of, uh, a lot of uh, subjectiveness in the narrative. And I think it kind of points to show that, you know, um, that kind of how deeply the scene kind of uh, crept in, which maybe points to, uh, you know, how differently, different he saw the murder, like clapping of a hand is not a murder as long as he doesn't touch the body. But, you know, but it's the intention. Yeah. Well, so I, I do think it probably comes from Lemek, and there's a there's good reason for that. Now, keep in mind that Moses, Moshe, he doesn't write first person. Like If, if he's the one that's writing Torah, um, then he's writing about himself as Moses, right? He doesn't say I ever, at least that I can have found, unless if Moses is speaking, and then he'll say I. Um, but... There's a lot of reasons to think this is Lemek, and you're right. There are some things in there that only he would know, like with his wives. But you, you see, with his daughter and Naima, where he he's like he's obviously not happy. It looks like a father who's not happy with his daughter. He's like, yeah, my daughter became a whore. Like that's the way he's talking about her. But it's also interesting too that if you re recall the writings of Abraham, Yahuwah instructs Noah to go marry Naima, and he says that you know blah 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 about her. Uh, and and so he Noah knows what he's getting into. He knows he's doing this to be loyal to the Most High, whereas Lemek is kind of from his perspective, he's like, oh, Noah doesn't know all this stuff, you know. And it's like, no, he did know, you know. Um, so you know, because he instructed Naaman to keep secret some things, and you know, I don't know, maybe that does happen. I mean, spouses do get married, and you know, they don't always know about the past, the, their, their spouse's past. I guess that could be said about Noah, too. Maybe he didn't know everything about her. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. I, no, no, I just wanted to mention something else before you actually go. Um, um, there, there's some very uh, obvious, you know, um, similarities with uh, Leviticus here about uh, the leprosy. And it seems that it kind of, it kind of confirms Leviticus and why actually the mark would be the leprosy, because it's mentioned very in a very in a very detail. And I always wondered why in Leviticus leprosy would be actually mentioned so many times. And even Yeshua actually saved the lep the leper people, which kind of brings me to believe that the leprosy was very. Uh, very, uh, very much uh, related to the sin. So it seems that 
um, Yah you... mentioned in the Leviticus how to cleanse yourself from a sin. Maybe the leprosy was a, was a, a result of a sinful uh, way of life. And then we see also uh, Yeshua, which actually cleanses the people from the sin, also cleanses from the leprosy. Uh, yeah. What do you think? Does anyone have that passage in Leviticus where it talks about the leprosy? Well, if someone wants to look that up, that would be awesome and drop it in here. I'm going to read what um, Exceeding Abundantly put here about the apocalypse of Abraham, uh, which is different from the writings of Abraham, uh, mentioning Leviathan. And this is what it says in chapter 10, and then also chapter 21. I am Ye Yahuwah, um, named by him who shakes those which are with me on the seventh vault on the firmament. So I'm assuming this is an angel named Yahuwah, um, and maybe uh, because I know that the the apocalypse of Abraham talks about the seven firmaments of heaven. So maybe he's on the seventh firmament here. I am a power in the midst of the ineffable who put together his names in me. I am appointed according to his commandment to reconcile the rivalries of the living creatures of the cherubim against one another and teach those who bear him to sing the song in the middle of man's night. I got to scroll back up here. Um, at the seventh hour, I am made in order to rule over the Leviathans. Looks like plural here. Since the attack and the threat of every reptile are subjugated to me. I am ordered to unlock Hades and to destroy those who worship the dead things. I am ordered to burn your father's house with him, for he honored the dead things. I am sent to you now to bless you in the land which the Eternal One called by you has prepared for you. And for your sake, I have in indicated the way of earth. Verse uh, Chapter 21, verse 4 then says, And I saw that there, there that, the sea and its islands, and its animals and its fishes, and Leviathan and his spouse, and his lair and his dens, and the world which lies upon him, and his motions and the destruction of the world because of him. Wow. Okay, the destruction of the world because of his motions. I saw there the rivers and their overflows and their circles, and I saw there the tree of Eden and its fruits and the spring the river flowing from it and its trees and their flowering. And I saw those who act righteously and I saw in their food and rest. Okay. All right. So now we're looking at Leviticus chapter 13 verses two and three. And this is what it says. When a man shall have in the skin of his flesh, a rising, a scab or a bright spot, and it be in the skin of his flesh, like the plague of leprosy, then he shall be brought unto El Aaron, the priest, or unto one of his sons, the priest. It's interesting that they call Aaron L here. That's a whole study in and of itself. Verse 3, And the priest shall look on the plague in the skin of the flesh, and when the hair in the plague is turned white, and the plague in sight be deeper than the skin of his flesh, it is a plague of leprosy. And the priest shall look on him and pronounce him unclean. Um, let me see that again here. Okay, so, you know, looking at this text, um, I, I could see it going either way. I could see them being albino, but I, I, I'm really leaning towards the idea that there's something very unclean about them. That the mark of of Cain was I don't know. I think it's I think it's a good possibility worth considering that there was. Uh, it's said like like white like leprous, um, which one of two things. If 
<laughs> if it's saying if if a if if it's written by like a black guy and he's saying you know white people are like leprous people, you know, it's what we would call today incredibly racist. I don't think that's what it's saying. I don't think it's saying that you know uh, pigmentation of the skin or whatever. Um, it seems to me that there there seems to be something that was making them unclean that was being spread genetically. Uh, yet I don't know. Okay, what do we got here? Numbers 12. Numbers 12. Okay, just a second, Annie. Let me read this real quick. Numbers that, that's when uh, Miriam um, sings. Do you remember that she sinned and her, her punishment was the oh, this immediately is, into it? Yeah. This, is, this is a good one. Yes, this is a good one. Uh, because the whitest snow was um, mentioned in this book. Uh, so this comes from Numbers 12.10, and this is when um, Aaron and uh, Miriam are saying, talking trash about Moshe, and Yahuwah immediately calls all three of them to a confrontation and intervention in the tent. And he's like, we got to deal with this now before this spreads among the people. And it says, and the cloud turned away from above the tent, and look, Miriam was leprous, as white as snow. And Aaron turned toward Miriam, and look, a leper. Um, so, and Miriam had to leave the camp for, I don't know, was seven days or whatever it was until she was clean yeah. again. So yeah, that's I good. mean, she she had to leave indefinitely, and then Aaron and Moses begged uh, Yah to forgive her and heal her. Yeah, and it, and it was mentioned here by exceeding abundantly in a study about leprosy. It ends up being a spiritual disease caused by rebellion to authority Yah has put in place. So I don't know, guys. Um, that's oh, go ahead, Andy. You were going to make a uh, a comment. I think I'm fine. I'm fine now. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Here's another one from John five fourteen. Afterwards, Yeshua found him in the set apart place, and said to him, "See, you have been made well. Sin no more, so that no worse matter befalls you." And this, I guess, the context of this was the leprous man, correct? Hmm. Uh, no, uh, no. Well, he, was, he was a cripple. Okay. Uh, in in the part where it says resurrection, because uh, I've seen, I think, in some movies, I cannot remember another another version which you, you can interpret the resurrection is that oh, what I've heard doing in in such kind of scenarios, which uh, th that they are very disturbing in its nature anyway, is they might be calling. Um, dead people's souls or demonized souls uh, to a person. So this could also be interpreted as a, a, res um, a resurrection in the any twisted demonic way that anyway they were they were trying um, might not be a, a, a resurrection as we as we perceive it like a resurrection of the body, but most probably bringing the soul of a dead or deceased person to another person, things like that, maybe. All I know is, is the way they were describing. So if you guys are all familiar with the book of Adam and Eve, uh, part one and part two, the second book is, I like way more than the first. It's a pretty, it's a short read. Uh, like it's like 20 chapters. It's pretty thrilling and it's haunting because the sons of Seth are on the mountain of worship. And this mountain of worship is designed, which is Mount Zion, by the way. It's the same mountain. 
And Mount Zion is where they live, and they cannot leave the mountain, and nobody can come up on the mountain. So what the sons of Cain do is that they they surround the mountain, and they put up racetracks and like music venues, rock concerts, and you know they're banging drums and they have torches and stuff, and the women are wearing makeup and trying to seduce them, and. It's it's just haunting because I think about that like you're up on the mountain you're with Yah and you're you got you're eating like a, a diet of fruit from the trees and you could smell the fragrance of paradise and it says that they were they were leaving the mountain the sons of Seth were leaving the mountain to go down there and take on the wives of Cain and that kind of stuff and uh, just looking reading this text at how perverse it was and disgusting and unclean and sinful and murderous and it's like, who in the world would want that? But, you know, I, you look at, like, rock music, and it's all about murder and Satanism and that stuff, too, and people love it. So, uh, no thank you. <laughs> uh, well, Jared it did. Actually shows, it actually shows, Noel, that, uh, you know, um, when, when a person, that what we know for sin, in general, it kind of follows people and reflects on the flesh itself. I've seen a lot of tribes, um, documentaries, and for a lot, some tribes in Africa and some other countries, I think in India or somewhere else, and I've seen how people, they kind of burn their deceased and then they eat their, their or they eat their flesh or they eat their, their ash. I don't know how what they do, but they are very under they they live in a very wild state and we have to, we have made kind of to believe that these people they are just poor but i don't think it's just you know i don't think it's just being poor and and then we've got the narrative that oh we need to save african people because they're dying of thirst i think it's more than that it's it's actually they are sinning and their generation that they have seen. And this is what I see here, a similarity of the description here in this book of Lamech with uh, like the tribes in Africa, which they seem to be like cursed, which they could be cursed because from the way of, of their saying. So this one kind of um, brings a lot of parallels with that, I think. Yeah. Yeah, and to answer, uh, James asked, wasn't Jared the first to leave the mountain? Technically, he was, but he also died on the mountain. And he did leave the mountain, but in Second Adam and Eve, they, the watchers came. Satan and his, his crew came, and they actually lied to him and said that they were like Adam and uh, their deceased, like Seth and their deceased fathers. And, and so... He went with them, and I, I think that that's why maybe it didn't really stick. They weren't honest, and he was tempted, but he didn't fall for the temptation. And he saw, uh, yeah, uh, he was rescued. Yeah, so 1748 says, When Jared had ended his prayer, Elohim sent his angels in the midst of them, who took Jared and set him upon the mountain and showed him the way, gave him counsel, and they departed from him. And he actually uh, pleads with his children not to leave. And I think it's when Jared dies afterwards that like the last runoff like they all just left until finally it was just noah um uh, and methuselah and um and noah's father wasn't even um really righteous like there's texts that say that he abandoned the faith he, he didn't really abandon it but he he never really took it seriously like methuselah was out there 
preaching with Noah. It was Methuselah and Noah, their ministry together, he and his grandfather. Um, and at the very end there, it was just Methuselah was left and he died the year of the flood. Um, I think within like seven days. I think Yahuwah gave him seven days of mourn. And, um, and that was it. So it was pretty dire at the end. And that's why, like, yeah, when Noah had to take a, a wife at the end, like, um, he went with Nama because she was it. There was, you know, hardly anyone left. I don't know where they found um, wives for his sons, but I, I have to, uh, I have to conclude that at least with Shem, that uh, she was pure. And just to um, touch on that comment, uh, this is Desmond, by the way, just to touch on that comment I wrote about leprosy, the study I was talking about wasn't like a scientific one. It was a Bible study. Um, it was done by the Way Biblical Fellowship where they were comparing um, what modern medicine would call leprosy today. And uh, he was pretty convincing at proven through the Bible that it's not the same as the leprosy that we think of today, that it's something different. And every time that it was mentioned, um, in relation to something happening, it was always someone rebelling against the authority that Yah had put over him. Ooh, I like yeah. that. Yeah, I, I like, agree. I, agree. I like that. I like that a lot because I've often wondered that 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 you know they call leprosy today, but I'm like, is that really the biblical leprosy? So that's that's really good. Thank you. So that that connects it more to the Mark of Cain, then, doesn't it? I agree. Wow. All right. That's a good. That's a it's a good closing note. Thank you for adding that. I just want to say uh, great read, uh, very interesting uh, information and details. Uh, you know, I'm, I I wish everything you read had lined up with with uh, uh, good certainty. But like you said, some depending on the writer and the perspective, there's going to be the writer's opinion or the you know documenter's information that they have. So you have to take it you know how you can but as you said it's not scripture but once again we read some books that gives give some more details to what history we do know and it's another one of those uh ideas and information that you put on your bookshelf as as interesting and uh, uh may be able to fill some gaps when needed that's how i feel about it yeah that's that's okay that's how i feel and i just want everyone to make clear here that like so obviously, Lemek is a guy who clearly does not love the Most High. He is not set apart. And so I am. if he's going to say something incriminating towards Noah, I'm not going to take his word over Noah's. I'm going to take Noah's word. If, if Moses is telling me that Noah was pure in his generation, I'm going to believe that. If a son of Cain, who knows he's going to be destroyed in the flood, uh, saying, ha, 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 no, he's, uh, he's not, he's one of us. I'm not going to take his word. There's a, a lot of redeeming. The reason I shared this book, and I hope everyone appreciated it, uh, I think there was a lot of redeeming value in this book. I think there was a, a lot to, that filled in a lot of pieces um, of the pre-Diluvian times. I was, just this last week, I was telling Rob about this. I watched the movie um, uh, Stargate. If you guys remember, like 1994 with Kurt Russell. And uh, they made it into the MacGyver sequel TV show. And and it was interesting because the 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 Elohim uh, was raw, but they made him out of course to be like an ancient alien. But you know he was like a. I feel like they truly captured the idea of this sexual deviance, uh, 
terrible, wicked, fallen entity that was ruling over people with fear, uh, Ra. And I thought they did a really good job at that. And that's how I felt like reading this, where you see that and you're like, those those angels were not pleasant people at all uh, to be around. Like they were truly wicked people. <laughs>